Have you ever had to make a decision which you knew would change the trajectory of your life? In Genesis 46, Jacob has to come to terms with God's call to leave Canaan. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend As you read the opening four verses, it is likely that Jacob has been in Hebron since he last laid eyes on Joseph back in chapter 37. Now, as he makes his journey to Egypt, he stops in Beersheba, about 25 miles south. This is a place where Abraham and Isaac had called on God before. And so the sense of the historic and covenantal connection is is very real here. And it's deepened further by the fact that he, quote, offered sacrifices unto the God of his father, Isaac. Now, God speaks to Jacob here, and his word to him implies a sense of the fear that's in Jacob's heart. While God had told Abraham in Genesis 15 that his descendants would serve under another nation before leaving with great substance, nevertheless, throughout the patriarchal record, Egypt has been, I think we can say, perceived as a dangerous place. Abraham, for example, learned a hard lesson back in chapter 12, and in Chapter 26, Isaac had been commanded, don't go to Egypt. Both of these experiences, in fact, were in the context of a famine, which is exactly where Jacob finds himself at this moment. And so you can understand why he might question this journey. So very wisely, Jacob, standing in a place where he represents all of his posterity, seeks divine confirmation regarding this move, and God alleviates his fear by telling him, quote, fear not. To go down into Egypt. And what a word, not just a word to Jacob, but to the, the generation first reading this. Their experience of slavery under Pharaoh came about because God commanded their forefather, Jacob, to move everyone to Egypt. This isn't a mistake. Now, five further things are added. First, God will fulfill his word to Abraham to create a great nation from his family. Second, God clarifies that it will be in Egypt that he will build the family into a nation. Third, God assures the patriarch of his presence with them all. Fourth, God promises that he will bring the family back to Canaan. And fifth, God comforts Jacob with the knowledge that he will not be separated from Joseph until his death. In verses 5 through 27, following Jacob's encounter with God, we're told that the family immediately make their way to Egypt. We're also given a genealogy which details the 70 which make up Jacob's family as they make their way down to Egypt. Now, some of the details in this genealogy are are not exactly clear. For example, in verse 10, we're told of, quote, Shaul, the son of a Canaanite-ish woman. Now, was this a concubine of Simeon or did he take a, a Canaanite to wife perhaps after the passing of his first wife? We're not told and there's, I don't think, any way of knowing. In verses 28 through 34, as Jacob and the family approach Egypt, Judah is sent to represent the family in their arrival. And once again, we have a moving scene when Jacob and Joseph reunite after over 20 years apart. Joseph then prepares the family by expressing the importance of them, representing themselves in the right way before Pharaoh. First, they are servants before Pharaoh, showing their humility. Second, they are multi-generational shepherds. 
Egyptian custom then would require that they live apart from the Egyptians, which would be key for the survival of the children of Israel. Third, they, they've brought their own livestock, communicating the permanence of their intentions. This is not just a visit, this is a move, and it also shows that they're not there to be a burden to the nation, but if they're given land, they will work on that land and provide for themselves. And so we come to application. One, no decision should contradict God's revealed will. Jacob had good reason to be cautious before making his way to Egypt, and so he seeks God, and he does so on the grounds of a substitutionary sacrifice. We should learn from him in this, because there are many decisions we make without consulting God directly and receiving an explicit response from him. But but none of those decisions should ever fly in the face of God's word. And then in such times where there is no explicit command from God to direct us, we should get before him. I mean, I've, I've come before God and I've told him at various times, I'm too dumb to know what to do. And I've asked him, please just close every door except the door I'm meant to walk through. Now, if you seek God and you do so like Jacob here, if we can use the terminology, in the shadow of the cross, in light of what Christ has done, he will guide you. The good shepherd wants to guide his sheep. Two, the growth of God's kingdom is slow but sure. Over 200 years had passed since God promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. In the passing of that time, they hadn't yet reached even a hundred souls. And yet in the next 400 years, they are going to grow to 600,000 men, possibly around 2 million in total. And such is kingdom work. So Christian, don't value your work based on its smallness today. All kingdom work is important work. And we never know what the growth may look like. Just leave the growth to God. Stay faithful and remain in the understanding God will use your labors. Three, God's people must remain humble regardless of their worldly success. Joseph has become one of the most powerful men in the world, and yet there is no aloof spirit reflected in him at all. He embraces his father as a humble son of any station of life. And we might say the same is true for Jacob because many a parent has not really respected their child's achievements and they've been critical of them despite what they've accomplished. Jacob doesn't reflect that at all, and so there's lessons here for both children and for parents. 4. All who meet with Jesus are ready to die. If we take Joseph to reflect something of our Saviour, then the feeling which gripped Jacob is one we should be able to understand. You note when he says, now let me die. It's not that he wants to die, but that he is ready to die. A bit like Simeon, remember in the temple? He felt this way when he laid eyes on the infant Christ. So you come back and you ask yourself, do I have this readiness? It's not that I want to die, but do I have this readiness? If you don't, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I call upon you to ready yourself by repentance from sin, faith in Christ. That's the only way you'll be able to come to the understanding that Paul had when he said that for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. 5. Believers must be willing to be what the world despises. Scholarly papers have been written on the detail that shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. 
And both Jewish commentators and modern scholars have failed to sufficiently prove precisely why this was. Regardless of the fact that Egyptian culture despised shepherds, this is a reminder that God's people must embrace their peculiarity in the world and be willing to be hated. So children, at some point in your life, you will have a choice to make. Either you will try to fit in with the world or you will prove your loyalty to Jesus Christ. That day is coming. And you must therefore ready yourself in your mind. Whose side am I on? Finally, there is a meeting for which all men must prepare. Joseph, knowing Pharaoh's mind and his expectations, prepares his family so they can tactfully approach Pharaoh and dwell in safety. In a similar fashion, our greater Joseph prepares his people in the way that only he can so that we can stand before our God. So, let me ask you, have you known this preparatory work? Have you sat down, as it were, and heard from Jesus Christ what's necessary for you to stand before God and be accepted and dwell in safety? I trust that you have, that you've understood that without Christ, you can never be saved. Without him standing and representing you, you can never be forgiven. Therefore, there needs to be this acceptance of the fact that you can't save yourself you can't change the mind of God toward your sin. The only answer is to find in Christ an imputed righteousness received by faith alone that will stand you in this place of confidence. Boys and girls, make sure you know that you have faith in Christ and you're ready. You're ready to stand before God.